If you have your Bibles, let's open them, please, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. I want to, uh, it's going to be a bit of an introduction here that I want to prepare us for the text itself. You know, at chapter 3, Paul makes that turn from the rich theology, I mean, the the, the deep well of theology, chapters 1 and 2, and he makes this switch in chapter 3 all the way through to this, uh, this rich application Here's how we live out those things that are true. And um, in, 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 in a way that Rob and I have been teaching, uh, we've made that a point of that around chapter 3, but I want to make another point that we haven't been as strong on, but I need to be in light of the text we're looking at today. This switch is not just from the theology of Christ to the outward living of Christ, uh, the context is going to show us that he, he, he turned a switch here and it's clear he's now speaking to the local church. That even the applications we're going to look at have to do with the body of Christ and being in the body, not so much you know, for you individually, that you need to take this individually and apply it, which is still true, but the priority is the church itself. We can see this because starting in verse 9 of chapter 3, He begins those one another phrases. It's not just you, it's one another, one another, one another. And and more specifically, and to the point, what Joe just read, we notice in verse 15, he says, to which indeed you were called in one body. What's this one body that we're called to? Well, I'm arguing here that he's speaking of the local church. Now, I want to give you a quick quick, uh, flyover of, of what the Bible, what what the lo- what the church is according to the Bible, and, and don't answer out loud, but just in your mind's eye, if I said, you know, what's the church, or if I said, if I just use word association, church, you know, what things come to our minds, and my guess is a lot of things come to our minds. Some of it really good, and some of it really not so good. Let me tell you what the Bible says about church, and. Uh, again, this is not the whole depth of it, but this is enough to prepare us for our, for our text today. The Bible speaks of, of two church realities. The Bible speaks of the universal church. What's the universal church? Well, the universal church is every human being who will ever be born on the planet, who is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, they are placed in the universal church. It's in the, the universal body of Christ. Old Testament, New Testament, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now. Are you with me? That's the universal church. Now, the universal church is, is a reality, but it's invisible. I mean, you can't per se see the universal body of Christ, the universal church. It's not defined by any particular time or place. It's, it's global, and it extends for all of time as we know it. Then there's what the Bible describes as the local church. And the local church is not a building. So people say, where do you go to church? And you may say, well, I go to, you know, it's it's fellowship. You know, it's that church down Columbia on the left, you know, in that warehouse. Well, the, the, the local church is not a building, okay? The local church is is a people. In that way, it's the same as the universal church, okay? It's a people, not a building. Um, While they are uh, you know, the, the local church, the universal church is not confined by time and space per se. The local church is a local, in geography, a place where Christians gather 
in a time and place in a specific context. So a local church is who this letter was written to. He, he didn't write to the universal church. He was writing to who? The Colossians who gathered in Colossians under a plurality of elders. That's just the, the most basic definition I can give you of a local church. It is the gathering of Christian people under a plurality of elders. The universal church is, as I said, it's invisible. And, and in many ways, you say, well, is the local church invisible? Well, no, it, it, it's not invisible per se. Uh, this is going to sound strange, but the universal church and the local church are uh, distinct in their expression. You know, this, the, the universal church and then there's local church. They're distinct in their expression, but they are one in essence. And you go, well, that, that sounds like the Trinity. And I go, I think it, it, it should. Father, Son, and Spirit, distinct in person, one in essence. This is, I think we could apply the same thinking to the church. Well, God himself is spirit, invisible. But when God chose to make himself most fully known, he became a human being, Jesus. And so we read in the Gospel of John, Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father and it's enough. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me or show us the Father? Can I say this in the same way that the universal church is invisible? If you want to see the universal church and how God wants us to see the universal church, then you just need to turn around and look. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it now. It's a people gathered under a plurality of elders. Does that make sense? So the local church is visible in that sense. Now, the, the implications to this are, um, they're, they're, they're profound. Um, it means in the Bible, according to the Bible, to be in the universal church. And if you've put your faith in Christ, you've been placed into the body of Christ, universal church. To be in the universal church is to be in a local church. And I know what I'm going to say can sound self-serving, but I, I hope it's not. I'm just telling you that according to the Bible, you, you can't talk about church and separate the universal church per se from the local church. If you're in the body of Christ, then you will be in a local congregation. This is what the Bible instructs us. The, what we're going to read in Colossians this morning makes no sense apart from being in the body of Christ. And I'm not saying like, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm in the universal church. No, I'm talking about being in a local congregation of believers under a plurality of elders. You know, when I first did this message last week, I literally, while I was working on the message, it was last weekend, I went over to the worship center and I grabbed this wooden crate and I set it on the stage. And the reason is because I wanted to, in teaching this, it was on my heart, I wanted to like, I was going to take off my coat and I was going to get up on that box and go, look, y'all, I need to speak from a soapbox for a minute. Because you know, when you speak from the soapbox, you're just like, it's just coming out of you or whatever. And I don't want to be inappropriate and, and ever do that per se. But I was going to do that just to talk about some things that honestly, um, and again, I don't mean this to it'll sound self-serving, but it's, I'm trying to be one of your pastors and shepherd you and lead you appropriately. And so I said, Joe, take that off. I, I, I don't need to do that. But I do want to share just a few things, if I may. I, it's, you know, I'm not getting on the soapbox, but I want to say to you, um, 
I, I am shocked sometimes uh, what I perceive to be people's views of the local church. How people view the local church, and, and when I look at the Bible and how God views the local church. Um, and this can happen to me, and, and I'm, not, I'm not thinking of you when I say this, but, and, and some of you are going to avoid me like I've got, you know, coronavirus, I'm sure, but um, this happens to me a good, say I'm in Costco, and I'm, uh, I run into you, some of you, some, someone, you know, and, but I, what I'll, run to, I'll run into some people who used to go to fellowship but don't anymore. And, and again, I'm, and I'll say this several times, you know, there's reasons to leave a church. There's, I get that. You know, I'm not so naive to think that fellowship Bible church, quite frankly, didn't start and get where it is today because we led a bunch of people to Jesus. I mean, it's people who were at churches and came, so I, I understand that. I don't, I don't like that, quite frankly, and I hope moving forward, it's not about people from other churches, you know, just kind of wandering around and land here, but it's because people come to faith and plug in. Well, okay, with that said, I'm talking to someone in Costco, and they'll, this has happened to me more than once, is why I say it, they'll say, catch up a little, you know, and this is someone, let's just say, you know, I've done their wedding, like, I, they've been in the body, but for whatever reasons, things happen, and they, they move on, and they will say to me, you still at fellowship? And I'm looking at him, and I'm, and I'm like, well, you're talking to me, right? I'm, am I still at fellowship? Because they're not, you know, whatever. And, and my mind's just racing. Y'all, if I told you everything I think, you would not let me teach. So this is where I have to draw the governor, put the governor on it. But I've, I've been thinking about that in light of this text even, and, and there are times I just want to go, and, I, and I'll say, yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I'm there, you know. And I want to say, I want to say to them, wait, your name's Smith, right? Yeah. Are you still a Smith? And, I, and, I, and they would look at me like, what do you mean? I, well, I mean, are you still a Smith? Because I know your family's gone through some really hard stuff, and I'm assuming you, surely you've changed families by now, in light of everything that's happened to you. You know, I'm just getting, then I'm just getting that, now I'm in sin, you know, I'm just totally... <laughs> But I, I, I feel that in this way because, and again, I know there's reasons to leave churches and whatever and you can go whatever, but when the Bible speaks of the local church, it uses words like body. It uses the word family. You don't leave your family because the family's in trouble or something happens. What if, what if, I mean, and th there's a reason God uses these words. How about your kidney decides, I think I'm gonna start attending, but not really be really in you. I'll be there every once in a while. I know that's silly, and, and, and it's, it's, it's on the edge of sarcasm, of course, but what do we do with these passages in the Bible that remind us the local church is the body and the family of Christ? And here's, one, here's the thing that kind of drives me crazy, to, to be honest in many ways, y'all, is that when I'm having those conversations with people or another group of people, you know, that I just, this community is rife with it, and that is Christians who just kind of, you know, have been hurt by the church or upset with the church, whatever, so they just decide, you know, we just kind of do church in our house, you know. We've got some friends, we do church, and I just want to say, 
that's not, that's not the local church, I'm sorry. And you're diminishing the bride of Christ in thinking that's the local church and you're going to do local church like that. And I'm, I'm not saying this so that you, you know, to raise up fellowship. I'm honestly trying to say it to raise up the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God says of the local church, it is the bride of Jesus. And I know you could say, well, Lord, he's talking about the universal church. Yes, and. There is no universal church that's not connected or expressed by the local church. And this is just an exhortation. I, I guess when I get that off my heart to you, I know I, I stood on an imaginary soapbox, didn't I, you know, in that. But I, I, I go there because, oh, well, here's the last thing I want to say because <laughs> this is on my mind. It's not young Christians who, who kind of have that mindset. This is what kills me. It's older, mature, I'm talking people in ministry that just say the church, you know, I'm, I'm in ministry, but you know, I don't want to do that. And when I say that, please know this, I have been that person. I have been that person before. I'm not that person now, and I don't want to be that person going forward, and I hope we as a church as a people of God, and as a local congregation, you know, with all its flaws and foibles, begin to live our own lives in such a way that don't diminish the glory of God, but actually enhance the glory of God. Because I'm going to tell you something. Every family's dysfunctional, but we don't leave them. And they never get perfect. But I'm telling you, through our flaws and our hurts and our pains, God is glorified in the context of our families. So with that, all right, sip off soapbox. Let's get over here to the text. Well, I say that because it has to do with the text. Paul, in these three verses, gives us three commands. They make no sense unless we understand them in the context of a body. And I'm suggesting here the context and body of a local church. Look at these three phrases, and I, they're in here, but the verses themselves, 15, 16, and 17. Here's the outline. The peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the name of Christ. The peace of Christ, the word of Christ, the name of Christ. There's the commands that he's going to give. I'm going to walk through each one uh, as, we're, as we're finishing out this section. Start with the peace of Christ. Look in your Bibles, verse 15. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. We'll start here. What, what is the peace of Christ? Uh, peace in the Bible. Oh my gosh, y'all. It's just this big full-orbed word. And it's, it's so much more than the absence of conflict. We're not fighting anymore. We're at peace. It's so much deeper and broader and fuller than that. The, the Old Testament word shalom captures this essence of everything is as God intended. It, all things have been set right and set right according to God's desire and designs. This is the peace of Christ. When we look at how Paul uses this word peace in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, the last phrases of the creed, he says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so this is that peace 
by which we are made right with God. You understand, we are born separated from God, alienated from God, at war with God, and by Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, by which he died for our sins, paying the penalty we deserve, we are made right, can I use this word, whole, complete, with God. And that wholeness extends to our own hearts. You notice he said, let the, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And you all know this. Page said it. Our mission as a church to help people find wholehearted life in Christ. I'm telling you, wholehearted matters because the heart is the center of who you are. And when we say wholehearted, we're saying the gospel is that which puts our broken hearts back together. It is our thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices, and that which defines the center of our being and who we are. This is the place of Christ's peace ruling in me. That word rule, by the way, is only used one time in the whole Bible, and it's right here, that Greek word. And so we look at, well, how was it used in extracurricular uh, Greek at the time? And it, it was used in an athletic context. So, so the, to, to rule, it, it describes what we would know as the umpire, the person who calls balls and strikes, fouls and infractions. It is in the Greek games, it was the one who declared, you're the winner. You kept, you know, you're the winner. You ruled on that. So this idea we think of, or at least I do, think of umpire. So let the peace that Jesus has secured by his life, death, and resurrection, be the umpire within yourselves. See, this is not just personal, but within yourselves. But I'll say this. The peace of Christ must rule in my own heart before the peace of Christ will rule in my relationship with you. It begins internally and it begins in us. And then it's extended to one Another. Well, Lord, how does this work? Wait, okay, how does the peace of Christ rule in our hearts within the context of our relationships in a body? Well, let's, let's you know, we, we like to say around here, fall in love with reality. Here's the reality, and Paul knows this. We don't get along. I'm not talking about us and people outside the church. I'm talking about within the church, we have conflicts. We hurt each other. We have disagreements. And uh, it's not surprising to Paul, nor is it to God. And when you read your New Testament, you all, I, I, I believe this, I don't have the exact percentage, but if you boil down all of Paul's, all the New Testament letters, and you said, what are they about? Well, they're about the gospel. They're about the gospel, and then they're about this, and get along. <laughs> Jesus, and work it out. Jesus, and love one another. That's what it's, it's about broken people getting along because we're fallen people even within the context especially maybe within the context of our church and so what this may look like is let's say i have a conflict with someone in the church or we're you know we're, we're at odds something's here if i let the peace of christ rule in my heart then then i'm i'm growing in that wholehearted sense of christ is my deepest satisfaction jesus is all I need. I am fully loved, accepted, valued infinitely in the gospel. I'm whole in Christ. 
and I'm out of shape with someone, okay? But if I bring my satisfied heart in Christ to, to, to resolve the issue, and let's say the other person, a Christian, brings their own satisfied heart in Christ to resolve the issue. See, we're not coming together to, 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 to get something from one another. We're coming together to express and bring the peace that already has been secured by Jesus in our hearts. Now, I'm not saying that, you, you know, so every time you resolve conflict, it's like bingo, poof, everything's gone. No, it's, it's way harder than that. I am not at peace with everyone at Fellowship Bible Church. There are people, I'm just, this is real, you know, we're not perfectly all hunky-dory. But the reality of the gospel is we don't come to make peace when we work things out, we're actually bringing the peace that is already ours in Christ. And part of sanctification is, and when I said I'm not at peace with everyone, or maybe I don't know that you would be either, is in time God works those relationships out. And I trust he is in my life and I trust he is in yours. And as he does, we're doing that, bringing the peace of Christ which rules in our hearts to one another. So I want to move on, uh, but I want to note he says in verse 15, and be thankful. So it's like, da 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 and be thankful. And it's almost like he just tacks that on. Well, I assure you, he doesn't tack it on. But I want to hold that till I get to the very end of verse 17. So let's go from the peace of Christ to the word of Christ. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, hearts, in your hearts, to God. We have an interpretive question here. What is the word of Christ? Is it the words Jesus said? Is it words, is it the word of God on the whole? You know, let, let the Bible dwell within you richly. Or is it the words that were spoken about Jesus? Well, when we, when we look again within the context itself, um, verse 5, uh, chapter 1, it speaks of the hope laid, us, laid up for us in heaven. And he says, uh, of, this, of this you have heard before, in the word of truth, the gospel, in the word, the gospel. And other, other commentators are almost 100% on this, that when it says the word of Christ, it's not speaking about the words Jesus said. Now, should we have those words dwell in us? Yes, yes, yes. But what he's saying within this context are the words about Jesus, about the gospel. Let the words about the person and work, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, let that gospel dwell in your hearts richly. Douglas Moo, outstanding New Testament scholar, says it this way, it's not what he proclaimed, but it's the message that proclaims him. That's the word of Christ now, to dwell is to inhabit. It, it, you know, when you dwell somewhere, you live there. You stay there. It's not like, you know, you need to Airbnb the word. Let it, let it Airbnb. Let it stay there a weekend, then it'll move on. No, let it dwell. Richly carries the idea of abundance. Let it dwell in its fullness. And, you know, when I'm studying, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, what, okay, what is, what is this? And I, I'm praying and you know, it was, uh, it was a week ago I was thinking about this, and it struck me that the things that ought to dwell in my heart pass through. And the things that ought to pass through my heart dwell. 
It's like this paradox. I can go decades and not hear a song. And then, I don't know, you just, that one day, you know, and I start hear, hear this song comes on. Picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Now some of you are going, that sounds like a trip on drugs. And I'm telling you, I probably was. <laughs> Somebody calls you. You answer quite slowly. The girl with what? See, y'all are on drugs too. The girl with kaleidoscope eyes. Now you don't, you know, I can't even remember the second phrase, but I'm going to tell you, I will never forget the chorus. Lucy in the sky with diamonds. You know, I mean, and all the younger people are going, that dude is on drugs. That's, I don't even know what song he's talking about. Well, how about that? I mean, I, I, could, I, will, I don't think I will ever get that out of my mind. Well, how about this? Let's all recite the Colossians Creed. They're not going to put it up on the screen. You know what I mean? I, I would be with you. I'd be going, he holds all things together. I, don't, you know, I can't remember that. But I can sure remember Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Now, I think this is how God made us. I'm going to talk about this at the end. I think this is because we're made in the image of God and God created us in such a way that how is it that those things stick and the other things just pass through? Here's uh, also notice that he says here, uh, and let the pastors teach and admonish you. And that's not what it says. It doesn't say, and, and let the pastors teach and admonish you. Teach the positive side of instruction, admonish the corrective side of instruction. No, it says, Teaching one another. Now, this is, this is the beauty of the body. Y'all, the, the primary teaching and admonishing, per se, is not, does not reside on this pulpit or, or in Lloyd or Rob. It resides with each of us to teach and admonish one another. And here's the reality. You can't do that if you don't know the other person at some level. If this service were Fellowship Bible Church, just this service, then there's too many people in the room for you to really effectively teach and admonish one another, right? We'd have to get into smaller groups, even in this room, so that we could teach and admonish one another, which is why, which is why you're going to hear us exhorting us as a body, and we won't stop, you know, until you go to another church. I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> We won't stop until, you know, you find life in, in some context of community because it's essential for growth in Christ and maturity in Christ. Now, here's the kicker that I didn't see. I really didn't see or understand. I've seen this many times. He says, teaching and admonishing one another with all psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I've always viewed this as, you know, you need, you know we teach and admonish one another. And... You know, we, we need to be singing psalms, you know, literal psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And most understand that those, you don't, you don't say there's a specific way, of, there's a specific type of song and a type of song. They are different, but it's, at its core, it's singing, okay? Um, I used to think, okay, do that and do that. But the best grammars don't express it that way. It's expressed more like this. 
teaching and admonishing one another by, by, by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it's like, oh, wait, our singing is, is how we teach and admonish one another? In part, yes. It is in this context, and in Ephesians 5, which is the sister verse, be filled with the Spirit, and then it goes on to say, teaching and admonishing one another, and, and singing psalms. Our singing, when we gather as a church, is not the warm-up for the preaching of the Word. It is the preaching of the Word in a different way and context. How about this? in a way that you just might actually remember. So, teaching and admonishing one another by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then he throws that on there again. Notice the end of verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I'm going to grab that at the end. Go to verse 17. We've looked at the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and now the name of Christ. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is such a comprehensive statement, you all. Let's just look at it for a moment. And this is kind of that observation stage of Bible study. What do we see? Well, when I look at it, I see the first, the second word here is whatever. Oh, okay, whatever. Okay, okay, what, whatever. That's pretty comprehensive. In case I don't get what he's talking about, he says, hmm. In word or deed. Oh, he's talking about anything I say, anything I do. Well, well they're, they're, this is pretty comprehensive. And if we don't get it yet, he says, in word or deed, do. What's the next word? What's the next word? Okay, so now we've got whatever, word or deed, everything. So it's almost like he's stopping us from saying, okay, but what about Oh, no, it's almost Paul would just go slap us. He'd slap us and say, did I not say everything? Did I, did I just not say whatever? Did I just not say word or deed? You know, it's just absolutely comprehensive in life. Well, what does it mean to, to, to everything, everything, everything we do in the name of Christ? Well, uh, it, it includes these things. When you do something in the name of another, you are doing it uh, how they would do it, in essence, you're doing it for the reason they would do it. It's something that you do with the authority, like when someone comes in someone's name. I'm coming to you not on my authority, but I'm coming to you in the name of this person of authority who, that I'm under. You get that? It is to do something so that the person in whose name you're doing it is glorified. It is more visible. So I'm going to do this in... Bob's name. And so when I do it, I'm doing it so you won't see me, but you'll see who? Bob. <laughs> okay, how, how does this apply? Well, it, it, it's infinite, the applications. And he doesn't, he doesn't just give us these specific, like, okay, for your particular circumstance. It's very broad in general because it applies everywhere. And so I'm going to give you a, a very broad application that I don't know that there would be an exception to. But it would be unique to your unique situation. You know how we end our prayers with this little phrase? What's the phrase we end our prayers with? In Jesus' name. So, so we've asked this God on the basis in, in light of Jesus. Do it for him because we're in him. So, see that? 
I want to suggest we can do everything in Jesus' name if we'll take that little phrase and we'll, we'll, you know, keep it at the end of your prayers, make a copy, (laughs) and take the copy and bring it over here and put it right in front of your life. I'm, I'm thinking like in front of your physical body, you know. In Jesus' name, that's what's right here. So, you know, you're getting ready to say something. And before you, before you open your mouth, you, you got that right here. And so you go, what, whatever comes out of my mouth next is going to be spoken so that Jesus will be made known. I really think I would say less. And I really think when I said something, it would matter more. Take the same principle. You're getting ready to do something. I don't know what it is. You're getting ready to do something. Cut the grass, you know, do something. You're making a choice. So before you make that choice, you, in the power of the Spirit, you just kind of, you say to yourself, I'm, Jesus, I'm going to do this so that you will be better known. I'm going to do this so that you're glorified. <laughs> it kind of puts a check then. It's like, it's not a bad check. I'm not, it, Paul's not laying upon us like this legalistic, do this, don't do that. Don't forget the book we're in. Don't forget the gospel message. Don't forget the whole of Scripture on sanctification. You aren't who you were. You are now in Christ. And therefore, what you say is to be a reflection of Jesus. It's, you know, so when you open your mouth, what comes out of you is, what Je- is, is Jesus. This is dependence upon the Spirit. The things you do, it's not like I don't want to do them. It's I do it because it's Jesus in me, you see. I think that would give us some framework for applying do all things in the name of Jesus. And then notice he ends with that phrase again, y'all, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I, I, you, know, you know I was going to say this, but this is no tack on. He said it three times. There's a reason he keeps saying be thankful. If we just took the book of Colossians, only Colossians, and we said, what does Paul think of thankfulness? Well, I would suggest he thinks a lot. Chapter 1, verse 3, always thanking God. Chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Chapter 2, verse 7, abounding in thanksgiving. 15, 16, and 17, be thankful, sing with thankfulness, give thanks in everything you say or do. Be watchful in thanksgiving. Chapter 4, verse 2. Y'all, thankfulness, gratitude. I'm still working on this, but there's something about gratitude that seems to be so central to the life of faith that Paul cannot say anything without calling us to it. Read the Psalms and you can't escape it. I kind of think of it this way, maybe. I think it's like the seasoning of faith. What, What do you mean the seasoning of faith? It's like what seasoning does. It, it, it brings out the flavors. It's gratitude seems to enhance the flavor of Jesus, his person and his work. 
I might say it this way. I, thanksgiving is the oxygen of heaven. And Paul's always exhorting us, breathe it in. Breathe in the oxygen of heaven. And let it out every moment your feet are on this planet. Gratitude, it's the oxygen of heaven. Breathe it on earth. Breathe it on earth. I want to invite the band and worship team to join me again. We have intentionally, you know, framed our worship time and our time of gathering this morning to end in this way. You probably won't remember much, if anything, of what I've just said, I've, I've taught. But perhaps if we sing of these truths, they may stick in a different way. I want you to stand, please. and uh, We're going to sing these truths. You're gonna, we're going to sing them. And I trust that we'll sing them and they will find a place in our hearts. And perhaps um, Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds will slowly ebb from my own heart, you know, and maybe these words will, will reside. And I want to exhort you in this way, and I hope you think about this. This was true. This was true when you walked in the room and people were singing, or you're in the room at the very first of this service. This was true. It's true every time we lift our voices to worship. May it mark us as a community of faith. Here's what I mean what's true. You're never singing for yourself. Mandy has said it. I want to reinforce it. You're never singing for yourself. And so, you know, when you sing, just the opening of your mouth and, and the words that come out of you are for someone, it, you know, it, it's not just for you, it's for someone else in the room. There's someone in the room who is struggling with the peace of Christ and gratitude and the word of God's, the gospel and the word. And, and your singing is actually their admonishment and encouragement. Can you believe that? What a responsibility we have. Thank goodness that the Bible never says sing, on, sing in key, sing in tune, and you do the harmony and I'll do the melody. It never does that. Thank goodness it talks about our singing as a noise. So let's all start there. Let's make a noise. You know, when I'm not teaching, oftentimes I will go and I just like to go and visit another church and see other churches. And I, you know, when I go into other churches, you know, I'm, I'm standing there. I'm so fun to go in, not knowing know me, and I'm just can worship. And, but I'll be standing there, they'll be singing a song, and I'll have, I'm kind of standing there, and honestly, I'm going, I don't like that song. <laughs> or I'm thinking, we do that song better. You know, it's just terrible. But I get that there are times when you, you're not, you can't sing or you don't sing or whatever. But don't, don't let us ever forget that our singing is, is, can I say, it's just not an optional thing. It is a part of life in the body. And if you don't think it's for someone else in the room, I, I, I will say this. Some of you are standing in this room with your kids. My singing is for your kid. You're singing for someone else's child, not just your own. Y'all, you know, I always told my kids, you know, they're grown now, 25, 24, 21, 18. And I said, man, I'm sorry, you're a pastor's kid. <laughs> I can't take that away from you. Um, but I'm telling you, they don't remember my sermons. But all my kids, I believe this truly. They've remembered the songs that have been sung. 
over them that they've sung themselves, whether it's in worship service or at camp or student ministry. What a great privilege we have, isn't it, to sing. Let's, I don't know, I just hope in the coming years we take it with a deeper gravity and joy because it, it's not just for us. It's for each other. And it is absolutely unto the glory of our God.